Hey, hello, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, we're broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM and the Big Talker 106.7 FM. I'm Yael Lasoski, you're a co-host for the radio program today, and I'm joined by David Clement in Toronto. David, I'm just going to throw it up to you. How you doing, my man? Ooh, it's uh, It's been a tough week. It's been a tough week. I mean, between the combination of having a uh, completely unnecessary election here in Canada and everything that's unraveling in Afghanistan, um, yeah, not not great. Yeah, I'm hearing a little bit about this election in Canada. I actually just registered um, to receive my ballot abroad, so I will be sure to participate and mess everything up uh, in my county back in Quebec, in my jurisdiction. <laughs> Ooh, good old mail-in vote. You've been doing that. I've never done that, but you've been I doing have. It for yeah, a while. I've been doing it for, for a couple of years. So far, it's been okay. I mean, it's, nice. I think it's counted. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. You never know with this stuff, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. They have a procedure. I just, I never understand how you can't just go to the embassy and just like vote there. They still have never had this procedure. Um, it's the same for the American system. They don't allow this, which I, I find very strange. If you don't trust the embassies, uh, then something else that matter. But, David, I know who's not trusting their embassy this week. Oof. Yeah, I mean, what a... I mean, there are stronger words that are deserving of to, or more appropriate to describe that situation, but what a mess in Afghanistan. Um, just the combination of... How poorly the um, the withdrawal was executed, and it's one of those things where like a lot of people on Twitter um, are kind of they're they're uh, the real the real kicker here is just how botched the withdrawal was. I don't think that I mean I think that President Biden actually has made a coherent case for leaving, um, something which the majority of Americans supported. Uh, it's just the way in which they did it, and that includes us Canadians as well, uh, in terms of the folks in Afghanistan who actually worked with the armed forces there and served as interpreters or private security, those people being left on the tarmac, um, essentially knowing that they were being left to die if the Taliban got them. Um, and so, yeah, just an absolute nightmare of a situation, and then in from the Canadian context, it's made exponentially worse by the fact that we that our our prime minister called a snap election um, as a, as a pandemic is still going on, as there are forest fires in BC, and then as we have the beginning of this great um, humanitarian crisis unfolding in Afghanistan, which we're a part of. Um, so it's just, it's just wow. an absolute disaster. Well, we'll get into the election. Uh, for the Afghan thing, you bring up an interesting point as to the opposition of this, and I feel as if it is, to use the term uh, that's described in the sort of um, Russian nomenclature, it's a kind of like controlled opposition, or it's like a way of framing it, because the people who come out and would criticize Biden on removing American troops from Afghanistan, which Trump promised to do, Biden promised to do, uh, essentially every, I guess the last three presidents now promised to do. It's it's like if you criticize the decision, um, then it's all just like, oh, well, you know, we should just stay in Afghanistan forever. 
And it's it's this kind of stuff that really irks me in the political scene. And that's why I think we do a lot of the stuff that we do is because there are nuances in absolutely everything. And criticizing a particular policy um, does not mean that you're adding that same criticism to the entire swath of policy fields. Uh, it reminds me of the Iraqi situation with the Iraq war. You would ask people in 2000, whatever, 2008, 2009, you know, oh, should we have gone to Iraq? They're like, I agree that what happened in Iraq was a disaster. We should have had a bigger surge. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's this kind of stuff to where <laughs> they, they just critique the small little parts, but they're able to take the whole thing down. It's, it's somewhat similar to what's happening in the pandemic. Um, you have people who have very legitimate concerns about masking in children, and they're thrown into the anti-vax camp. Um, sometimes literally, we'll get into that. But it's this kind of stuff that, really makes one skeptical of getting involved in public discussions because the nuance is just gone. It's just stripped. And with the with the Afghan thing, a lot of people could look at that. Myself, it's pretty cool to see a president say, hey, we're getting out of this war zone. Sounds great, actually. I haven't heard that in a long time. Um, you know, could it be done better in terms of planning and whatever? Yes. But again, I'm not the guy in government who has to do that. And no. I think, uh, David, you brought a clip uh, that relates to this. Yeah, I was going to suggest we, we go to that because I think it, it very much uh, sums up my view. I mean, my one criticism outside of this clip would have been, yeah, <clears throat> more than it's been. It's certainly appropriate to withdraw. And I think that the withdrawal probably should have happened in the first four years of the Obama administration um, so long ago. Um, but yeah, let's let's run to that clip, um, and and it's it's a doozy. But he owned it. He owned his decision. He owned the fact that, as he put it, the buck stops with him. I hope he gets to own their deaths too. I I don't. I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, bold-faced lie in that speech. The idea that we planned for every contingency. I have been personally trying to tell this administration since it took office. I've been trying to tell our government for years that this was coming. We sent them plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. The thing that they were most concerned about was the optics of a chaotic evacuation. Well, they got exactly what they were most concerned of by failing to do what was right when we could have done it. We had all the people and equipment in place to be able to save these people months ago, and we did nothing. I'm appalled that he thinks we only need to take 2,000 people. There's 86,000 people who are currently left behind in Afghanistan alone. We've identified all of them for the government. I have no idea why they, 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 he claims that people don't want to leave Afghanistan. I have a list of 14,000 names right now of people who want to get out of Afghanistan. David, are any heads going to roll for this in a positive way? I mean, I, I hope that, I, like, if I was, if I was Biden... I would be sitting down with whoever the heads of the um, the National Security Council and the intelligence agencies that originally said that, oh, it would take 10 months for the Taliban to take the country back, and it took less than 10 days. <laughs> um, it's I, I, I think that that's what needs to happen. Um, I think the point in that clip about people not wanting to leave Afghanistan. It's like, well, 
guys, we all saw the video. A man tried to ride a jumbo jet off the tarmac to try and get away and fell to his death. Um, so the idea that people don't want to flee the Taliban, I don't think that could be more disconnected from reality. Uh, yeah, there's a great uh, Vice uh, documentary that they did. I don't know if it's a documentary or a news clip. Uh, they actually interviewed members of the Taliban, and they had a female reporter there. I'm kind of brave. But they talked to them about you know what exactly their plans were and what they were doing. And like while they're filming, they're having a trial from some guy who may have stolen someone's sheep. And they're basically saying, like, look, basically we found out that you stole the sheep. We're either going to cut your hand off or we're going to lash you in the public market. So it's coming. Uh, we'll make up a decision and we'll tell you in five minutes. It's like, what? <laughs> this is how justice is? Oh, my. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we've seen clips of reporters being like, so are you going to respect women's right, women's rights? And whoever the Taliban guy will be like, Yes, we will respect those rights under Sharia law. And it's like, oh, okay. So that means that women can't be, can't speak unless they're spoken to, can't make eye contact with men. They're going to have a, ch a finger chopped off if they color their nails. Jewelry is forbidden. Um, women can't attend school anymore. Women aren't allowed to work. Uh, if a woman's found guilty of adultery, they'll be stoned to death. Like, this is about as atrocious as it gets um, yeah and to and, and and this is the thing that drives me nuts about like lefty twitter and the anti-imperialist twitter is it's like yes imperialism is bad yes there are legitimate arguments um against the continuation of the war in afghanistan there are legitimate arguments i think against the initiation of the war in afghanistan but don't become cheerleaders for this um, just horrific regime um, called yeah, We've had a lot of radio silence from uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC and the like um, on this because it, it's complicated and it's it's difficult if you've been very much against uh, this military operation and all of a sudden it, it ends and there's this pullout and people are left to, to kind of suffer and there was no plan and there's a lot of incompetence. Uh, yeah, that ain't good. I know if, if we did any of that in our jobs, David, I think we'd be pretty much out of the door, but, uh, we're dealing with a different entity here. <laughs> and, uh, we do want to talk about some of the election stuff that's happening in Canada. We'll get to that in our third segment. Uh, in our next segment, we've got Julie Gunlock of the Independent Women's Forum. Uh, so we'll actually talk about a great new project that they have planned. It's called the Independent Women's Network. It's a social media network made just for women who want to have challenging conversations and debates. Uh, seems really interesting. Love to get in the club. Unfortunately, I can't. But <laughs> if any of the <laughs> listeners would be interested, uh, we'll be talking to Julie on that and uh, some other topics. Uh, so about uh, two minutes to go here on the clock, David. Um, I want to get into the lockdown stuff a bit in the third segment. Um, but I, the Afghan stuff is, is taking a toll and it's going to, I'm already seeing it in Europe. Uh, there's going to be a, a lot of talk about future migrant crises. A lot of people are going to be moving out. A lot of people are going to be trying to sneak into the continent. Uh, there even might Macron. be a backlash here that we're not even prepared for. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, even Macron has said, no, that's not going to happen. And so like what was, I mean, if you're, 
so it's going to have two impacts. Two, the first is that they're going to be far more, um, far more strict in terms of the restrictions. Uh, but two, it's just going to any any addition uh, additional refugees are just going to fuel the rise of the far right and the really ugly populist side of politics who really hate immigrants. Um, and I mean, the combination of those two things are about as, are really terrible from my view, because I mean, we've seen, we've had in Canada, at least we've had, uh, Afghan refugees, uh, coming since, um, since 2001 and they integrate into society. They start businesses, um, they have wicked food, they have restaurants, they they become as Canadian as everyone else who's from some other part of the world. Um, and so I think there is a there's an obligation to help these people out, and I hope that we but don't do drop they, the but ball But do they that. speak French, David? <laughs> no, they don't speak <laughs> French, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, that's okay. Yeah, that's a little, little quirk there of the uh, Canadian uh, Quebec uh, immigration system. Uh so yeah, I, I think you're definitely right on the the refugee question. I mean, there's so many people that we know. Um, I've actually met a number of people who uh, originally came from Afghanistan, became refugees, are incredibly smart, sharp people who contribute and, and do amazing things. Uh, every birth is an accident of history and of geography. And I think uh, many of us forget that. Uh, we're all kind of put into our own little camps and uh, wave the flag. But you know, at the end of the day, when you're faced with barbarity, and uh, people want to leave, you got to give them the green light. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to have conversations about benefits and and uh, those incentives, that's all legitimate. Um, but that doesn't mean you should stop someone from uh, trying to come here to make a better life for yourselves. I mean, remember, people were <laughs> clinging to planes to get away from what's about to happen in that country. I don't if that doesn't send a clearer message as to how bad um, the situation is about to become, I don't think anything um, can can really top that. Not wrong, not wrong. Uh, plenty more to come here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned to your radio dial and uh, we'll be right back after these messages with Julie Gunlock. Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM and Saga 960 AM up in Toronto, Canada. I am very, very blessed because our guest for the next segment is Julie Gunlock. She's the Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, where she directs the Center for Progress and Innovation. She's the host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour podcast, and she's the author, we shall not forget, of... From Cupcakes to Chemicals, How the Cultural of Alarmism Makes Us Afraid of Everything, and How to Fight Back. Julie, thanks so much for being on Consumer Choice Radio. Thanks for having me. I promise my next book will be like one word. That's always such a mouthful. Thanks for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It's all, the, it's all the magic of radio. It makes it a lot of fun. Uh, so, Julie, I wanted to, to have you on. I know you've um, opined on many different topics that are happening in the news, and I think we'll get to that. But you are part of this project that I found fascinating, uh, the Independent Women's Network. Uh, so this seems to be a new platform, free from censorship, free from cancellation. And you've set it up, along with your colleagues, to provide uh, a, a 
basically a wonderful space where women like yourself can actually engage with ideas and topics and they don't have to worry about being canceled. Uh, what is this about and how can people who are interested get involved? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing this up. So the network is a new project of IW. Um, the Independent Women's Forum is where I run um, this sort of science uh, project. And I also run a, a podcast there. But we wanted to set up a network and it's a members only group. Um, so there is a, a small fee. It's $5. It goes as low as $5 a month. Um, to be a member of IWN. And I think, you know, I think this is, a lot of women will relate to this, this idea of suddenly you're not allowed to talk about certain things. You're not allowed to question certain things um, for fear of not just cancellation. And I think, you know, I think cancellation, the word cancellation can be overused, but there is bullying that goes on. Another overused word, but I've experienced this or sort of harassment or being made fun of or being made um, to feel like you're some sort of Luddite who doesn't um, want, you know, progress in the world or who doesn't, um, or who is engaging in group in wrong think, which is, you know, obviously usually reserved for conservatives. Um, and, 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 but not just conservatives now, it's gotten to a point where, you know, you, I have friends who are, are Democrats. I have friends who are liberals who say that they're even afraid to ask questions or to bring up certain topics. And so I think what we wanted to do, or I know what we want to do is set up a network where women can talk freely, can have really grapple with issues and, and talk about controversial subjects without the fear that they're going to be harassed for this. And when I do say cancellation, I do think that's still, that's still, um, you know, applies, you know, I, I sort of, um, and, and y'all, I think you too are, we're sort of uncancelable. Like we're, that's our job is to talk about controversial subjects, to write about co controversial subjects. So nobody can really cancel me because I mean, again, I'm paid to do this, but when you think about there are people in my town, for instance, who are real estate agents or who run small businesses like restaurants, or they might run an auto repair shop. I know for certain, I have been told by these people who run these small businesses that they really have to be careful about what they say um, because they're afraid it'll cost them their businesses. They feel like there'll be retribution or maybe that can, their regular customers will stop coming or maybe, you know, suddenly an inspector will show up. They're very afraid and, you know, you can call them paranoid, but I think that this is a real concern out there. And so we wanted to offer this group up to women who feel um, restricted and what they can and want to talk about um, to offer them a place where they can come and have these conversations, the conversations they're not supposed to be having. Um, you know, we still believe in civility and being polite and being kind. Um, but that doesn't mean um, you can't bring up things that might sort of be off limits um, in another forum. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind this. We want women to have support. We want them to have good, interesting, thoughtful conversation, grappling with really tough issues. Um, and feel confident and, and you know, sort of unobstructed um, to, to have these conversations with other women who, who are also looking uh, for that kind of rigorous debate. So the website is iwnetwork.com, uh, which a lot of people can get into. I'm really interested by any alternative uh, social media network. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I think we have all the tools available to do so. Uh, I guess, you know, more of a, not a technical question, but more in terms of building this community, 
Have you found that people are a bit reluctant to leave their their normal social media channels? Oh no, are they are they're not afraid that it's a new thing and they're not going to be able to learn it, or no, people are ready to jump in? You know, it's interesting because I think in this is a really great time for innovation because the sort of established uh, platforms are a joke, right? They're terrible. They the idea that the head of the Taliban is on Twitter but Donald Trump isn't, is like, you can hate Donald Trump and, and you can disagree with everything he says, but just wrap your head about that one. Okay, the Taliban who throws people off, off, off um, buildings, who sets caged men on fire, who, you know, who, who, who treats women like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't even, I don't wanna say dogs because I don't even think dogs should be treated that way. I mean, this is a, an absurdity, okay, that we have these social media platforms out there and Facebook too, um, and increasingly Instagram and all the other sort of, you know, I, it's funny to say that these are established social media programs and social media hasn't been around that long, but look, they're all part of this coalition to, coalition to, to kill conversation, to kill free thought. And, um, and so there is, there is such a hunger for uh for places where people can and again it's not a safe space this is what we're opening and what we're creating here is not a safe space in, in fact you know when you come here you're gonna you're gonna see some really interesting conversations going on today for instance in one of our chat rooms in one of the iw network chat rooms we have claudia rosette who is a world-renowned journalist um and she is going to be doing sort of an ama in our chat room on politics, talking about Afghanistan and what this means for Taiwan, what this means for the Ukraine, and what this means for other regional countries like Turkey. How is Turkey going to 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 respond to this? It's really fascinating conversations. And if you think that you know we're going to all agree on this, that's madness. We won't agree. And and Claudia will be um, answering questions and and taking questions from from women. But we also we you know on these chat rooms we also talk about you know masking in schools. We talk about the 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 coronavirus vaccines. Um, we have really great conversations on this network. And again, the reason we're having these great conversations is because you can't have these conversations in a lot of um, uh, formats, uh, certainly on Facebook and Twitter. So, um, and, and again, I'm not saying that those, there, there are, you can't ever have the conver good conversations on this, but there is this risk you're taking of either cancellation or harassment. Um, I've left most of the online platforms that I used to engage in because it's just become um, you know, many, especially in a, in a dark blue city, like where I live, the sort of local Facebook groups and local, um, you know, uh, Twitter, Twitter accounts are just, you know, they don't really want to talk freely. They don't want to grapple with these ideas. Um, and so I think, I think this is why we're seeing this kind of innovation. We're seeing um, these member groups pop up and IW really is a great um, organization. We are, uh, you know, we are made up of women who have various opinions on things. We often have these sort of email back and forths where we try to figure out IW's position on certain issues. And what we wanted to do is bring that same sort of situation um, to women who are, are desperate for that kind of conversation.
You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We're speaking with Julie Gunlock. She's talking to us about the Independent Women's Network, iwnetwork.com, where you can, quote, connect with other strong, smart, and independent women and fight for a better country. All in on the alternative social media channels. I think this is great. Uh, Julie, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, I know that you're having to deal with this as a parent. Yep. Uh, thankfully, my daughter is is a bit too young, so we don't have to deal with the, you know the public school monstrosities. Uh, but we're being told every other week uh, that a new expert opinion uh, tells us that we either need to mask our children or we need to have new distancing rules or various things on the vaccines. And that is something that you're a bit uncomfortable with. And I know you've written for many years on science, about the experts, about public opinion. What is the pandemic and the so-called experts and how that's playing out? What does that kind of mean for, for social trust in our institutions? And what do you think about that evolution? Yeah, you know, I think that this is a really important question. And I think it is an incredibly um I think the loss of trust in some of our public institutions and one of those institutions being public health. Okay. So when I say public health, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, but some don't public health is sort of those, the, the government agencies that make up, um, you know, the healthcare system. So you have the CDC, um, HHS, um, and several other sort of smaller agencies, NIH, you know, these, these are, these are agencies that receive federal funding and do a lot of science research. Um, when those, agencies start to get it wrong so many times and then show absolutely no humility in admitting that they might have gotten it wrong uh you know i'll give you i'll give you an example that's sort of outside of vaccines and outside of masking and outside of this coronavirus world that we're now finding ourselves in you know because i've written about this for years this sort of flip-flopping on nutrition right so you had you know in the 1990s you know when i was i you know i was in college i remember like the big thing was no sugar and no eggs right and so they had all these or i'm sorry no fat and no eggs so it was like snack wells and i remember being in college and watching one of my roommates eat an entire package of snack wells i mean the entire container of snack wells. And she claimed, oh, this is good for her. And I, I was like, you know, there's still calories in that, right? And I remember telling her like, okay, I know it's like low fat, but you still have lots of sugar and this, and us having this conversation, right? But the, it was kind of the marketing of that at that time. And this was all guided by, you know, public health saying that you should really have low fat diets, which has of course been reversed now. People are putting like butter in their coffee for God's sake, right? And then you had like the no eggs. So my poor father, my father's big breakfast, guy, right? And I always tell this story that for like a decade, my poor father was eating egg white omelet, omelets, okay? And like, you know, removing the egg yolks, which frankly is the best part of the egg, right? From all things, right? And then <laughs> just about five years ago, you know, the public health sort of industry comes out and says like, oops, you know, we were wrong about eggs. Okay. After almost destroying the egg industry, by the way, in the, in the United States, like the egg industry reeled from this. They all, they like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the farmers were desperate to get people to start eating eggs. There was all this idea that eggs were like the great killer in America. And, and this isn't it. We see this with everything out there. We see this with wine. We see this with coffee. We see this with bacon. We see this with deli meats. We see this with any kind of packaged food. We see this with the GMO issue. We see this with organic foods, the same narrative of this is going to kill you. And then, oops, you know, <laughs> we were wrong. Right. And so it started it hit the the loss of trust and respect in the public health sector didn't start with this whole coronavirus stuff and fauci and masking 
it has been going on for decades. And so then if something big like this happens, right? And the vaccine, and I have, I have written extensively defending the vaccine development, praising the scientists who, who did this and the, and the pharmaceutical companies and the administration for supporting this. And I have, I have, I have written extensively on vaccines in general, pro-vaccine. I've written in the Wall Street Journal talking about the importance of vaccines. But, um, but what frustrates me now is this whole like narrative that people are just knuckle dragging Luddites and anti-vaxxers if they ask one question about the safety um, and effectiveness of vaccines, or if they question something like masking. And, you know, I think that skeptic skepticism is a really important thing. I think that people should be skeptical of things. And I think they are allowed to be skeptical, skeptical of things. And so what's turned me off and is that people just blame these people for being skeptical or acting, asking questions and yet have no criticism for a public health industry or sector that has gotten it wrong over and over again. And then again, doesn't sort of apologize and get it right the next time they continue to make these mistakes. I think we, as you know, common people who comment on this stuff need to show a little respect to people and need to be more respectful of people asking questions. It is perfectly acceptable before you get your 12 year old son, a vaccine to ask very important questions about some heart conditions that have arisen and especially young boys um, and some other things, for, for instance, pregnant women feeling reluctant to have the vaccine. Um, and there are many other questions. I just have been kind of sickened at the idea that anybody who asks a question is an idiot and, you know, and, and, and is automatically deemed an anti-vaxxer uh, rather than looking at the real issue, which is these institutions and these health institutions, which have, have deservedly lost the respect of the American public. Now, wow, she's on fire, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've been speaking <laughs> with Julie Godlike here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, you guys listen to Julie on the Bespoke Parenting Hour podcast. Read her book. We'll link to all of that. Julie, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. I feel great. I feel like I had a therapy session. I appreciate it. <laughs> And we are back here on Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. Uh, David, I wanted to hit you with some clips, as I often do, keep you off balance. You don't know what I'm about to send to you. You don't know what's about to hit your ears. I know you're about to be thrown off balance. So are you ready for this? Ooh, I am ready. All right, let's hit them with this one, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Actually, last week our government did say that if there were to be a case of the Delta variant in the community, they would swiftly go up the alert levels and head into lockdown. And that's exactly what they've done here today, despite not knowing actually whether or not this case right now in the community is of the Delta strain. But they did say that they are treating it as if it was. Now, we do know uh, that this uh, case is a 58-year-old man. And the last time we were in alert level four lockdown was actually actually last March. So it's been a wee while for New Zealanders. Uh, now, of course, today contact tracing is underway and two close contacts have been identified of this COVID case, but that number is likely to rise. At now, this is New Zealand and uh, we're seeing that down under <sighs> Australia, New Zealand, they're about to go into crazy mode. Um, basically, they've gone into lockdowns either regionally or nationally. And they've they've thrown up the gauntlet. And I, David, the way that they've done this, I don't think it compares to any other place in the world. 
No, it's, uh, it, one, it's com- it's insane. Um, two, and that's not even we're not even done yet. Let me do let me do one more clip. <laughs> All right. uh, this this is um so New South Wales is a, a a state of Australia. That's where Sydney is. Uh, this is uh, just an idea of the fines that are being issued on the spot for people breaking COVID regulations. So five thousand dollars for on the spot breach of home quarantine. Five thousand dollars on the spot for lying on a permit. Uh, five thousand dollars on the spot fine for lying to a contact tracer. Three thousand dollars on the spot fine for breaching the two-person exercise rule. Three thousand dollars on the spot fine for breaching rules going into regional New South Wales. You- Thousands of dollars for a fine for yeah. David Clement. Jeez, like, so I mean, the the funny thing is about Australia and New Zealand is they both so poorly botched their vaccine acquisition and rollout that um, it, this just adds like fuel to the resentment there. And I don't know, I, don't, I haven't really followed if there's like a groundswell of people who are getting irritated with this or if the fines are just large enough to really actually keep people at home um but yeah it's uh it's it's that is insane that's a that... oh no it, and there's so many videos of, of um there's one that i saw as well as in downtown sydney and it's a shop owner and uh like many places they have click and collect right so where you could order something online on some shop uh, you could go to the shop and pick it up, but you couldn't walk in and browse around, right? So basically, this guy is in his shop. Uh, some guy knocks at the door. He opens it, and then another guy barges in, and it turns out that they're police, and they fine him for opening the door. <laughs> oh, jeez. And they have a video. And here's another clip that I have that is just hilarious. It's this bro, this beef-looking guy, obviously super in shape, works out. Uh, he went to go get a test. And he didn't hear anything until the police came to his door and they whisked him away to the hotel. Checking in on a positive case at Greystains. Police in full PPE. As they break the news to Gabriel Chalu, he's off to a health hotel. Well, I went and got tested for peace of mind. Didn't get a text message that I'm positive or negative. And uh, yeah, next, uh, about a week after, I've got police calling me. So I don't know, maybe it's a mix-up. Confused but happy to comply, the concrete heads off for an indefinite stay. And he gets into an ambulance. I mean, <laughs> one case in this one area. Uh, I understand it's the island mentality, um, but guys, the jokes write themselves here. Former prisoner colony turns into prisoner colony <laughs> yeah. um, to match this. And you're right, it's about the vaccines. Um, there's just been a complete botching of this both at the state level in Australia and at the federal level and you don't see the huge criticism you know you see I I am able to read you know some comments of Australians that I know and uh, what's happening with the restrictions but it's like they feel as if they can't do enough for the vaccines they can't get them delivered they didn't get the priorities in on time they should have overpaid like crazy like Israel got them in the the door and, and now it's fine but poor Australians and New Zealanders the Kiwis yeah, yeah, not good. I feel bad for them. I feel yeah, bad that's for them. That's a whole other thing. That's but, a whole other thing. And we have uh, we have people that are involved here with the Consumer Choice Center who are also there. And um, it's very easy right now. I'll let you know to organize calls with them since they're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did read that the lockdown was ordered, um, at least I believe in Victoria, within two hours. 
<laughs> so it was a two-hour notice that people, okay, now it's locked down. I mean, that is insane. Even in many areas, we had like a couple of days people were preparing. Um, I think it's the capital region, Canberra. Yeah. Uh, there they shut down as well within about an hour, and everybody was scrambling, going to the grocery store. And I, if this does not show how much the public health authorities just are not very well-versed in communication and don't understand how to communicate things to the public, I mean, this definitely spells it out for them. Yeah. Oh, terrible. I mean, just think about, like, the mass hysteria that would happen if you did that here where it was like, okay, you got to be home in an hour. It's like, I mean, the kid doesn't get home from daycare for another three hours. We are all sold out of toilet paper in the next eight months. Uh, so, yes, that does it there. But let's stay within the Commonwealth, David. Yes. Uh, wanted to hit upon this. This is important for our Canadian listeners and for American listeners to know because— uh, normally, we're talking about American elections, but why not focus on the Canadian one for now? This one's pretty important, but as David mentioned, um, coming at a very strange time, uh, we've got everything happening, obviously, in Afghanistan, the pandemic, and uh, you seem to have some criticism there for yeah. um, Prime Minister Trudeau. I mean, I'm pissed off. This is so unnecessary. Um, I mean, I think the appropriate response from Canadians should just be, okay, well, the pandemic is over then, right? Yeah, so let me go out on the patio. Let me go hang out with uh, my buds. I'll have 10 people over. Like, no rules. Let me go to the store. Yeah, the, the pandemic's over. No more rules. Um, I mean, if, if if the pandemic is not over, which it isn't, I'm not, I'm not saying that it is, but if you want to have a frivolous election um, without losing the confidence of the House... So there was no vote in Parliament where the Liberals proposed something and the opposition voted it down, which would have forced an election. Um, that's not what happened. Trudeau went to the Governor General and requested an election. Um, and so basically he thought that he, he was looking good in the polls and there was a possibility of getting a majority government, which would have give, given him another five years. Um, it doesn't look that way now. Um, we'll see what it ends up, but it looks like there's a strong possibility of another minority government. And then we're going to be left asking ourselves, was any of this worth it? And was any of this even appropriate? Um, and so, you, I mean, I hope that I, whoever you vote for, I hope that you do so. <laughs> do so with the fact in mind that this was completely unnecessary. Um, and it could have waited until after the pandemic was over, whenever that is. Um, there was no need to have it right now. And then, like like I said earlier in the show, I mean, you add in the fact that we have this grave humanitarian crisis unfolding in a war zone that we were a part of um, with people whom we have responsibility for. The the interpreters, and in, they're called the Gurkhas, um, the, the private security folks, uh, who would protect our journalists and things like that. Um, we have a responsibility to get those people out because we know if we leave them, they're obviously going to get murdered. Um, and so the combination of all of this, it, it just really grinds my gears. It takes a lot of nerve to look at what's going on in the world and think that now is the perfect time to call an election. I'm very surprised by your take on this, if I'm honest. Okay. Why I'm surprised is because normally you want any opportunity possible to hear in, in a parliamentary system, to hear in from the people. Um, I often heard this in the UK. It's like, this is not the time to call an election. I, I don't know. With this opportunity, could this not be 
a good chance if people are not favorable towards policies of the liberals and Trudeau, would this not be the perfect time to ramp up that machine? And I believe that it's only like 30 days or something, right? The campaign. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, it could backfire. And personally, I would enjoy it if it backfired. Um, I would very much enjoy it if it backfired. Actually, I think beyond Trudeau losing, like the perfect outcome would be for him to have the exact same amount of seats after this election, which would just kind of perfectly highlight how how ridiculous and silly this was. Um, I agree David, with... it's not it's not an election; it's a selection. <laughs> it is exactly the example of the kinds of things you need to do to counter the she session, the she session, and turn it into a she covering. Oh. Fact oh. is, uh, the conservatives don't talk about that in their lengthy platform. I wonder why, bud. <laughs> like who 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 speaks in that language? Like who what ordinary Canadian is watching the news and hears that and do, isn't just like what the heck is he talking about? Well, and he flubbed the line. He flubbed it. So it doesn't even make for a good clip. It, it, it doesn't make for a good clip and it's just pathetic that some speechwriter drew that up as it was as if it was going to be some punchy line. It's like I mean, it goes back to when we talked about Latinx and predominantly progressive white liberals telling um, telling Latina or Latino people the words in which they need to use to describe themselves. And it's like nobody speaks like that. Um, like no, mm. this is the, the, yeah. The amount of people who hear that and are like, and it resonates them with with them immediately is like ten people. Just this is just not the language that common people uh, use. Um, whether or not it has merit, I mean, the, the whole concept is that the pandemic has disproportionately impacted women and the responsibility of caregiving. All valid points, but when you capture it in some just weird way like she session and she covering it's like dude what that's what you're offering voters right now that's here's some poetic justice for you actually our colleague bill vietz pointed this out to me that uh she session if you say it in an odd way in french would actually be secession which uh, <laughs> is the quebec independence movement wouldn't that be weird if this was a another you know trumpet to the uh, quebec uh, independence movement and uh, get them going uh, could prove interesting. I, again, this is um, this is really playing it to the blue checks, as we call it. Yes, playing it to to the Twitter mob. Um, th- there'll be praise for this in all the wrong places that don't matter. I really don't understand if you're, uh, you know, at a truck stop in Edmonton, or if you're, you know, hanging out at a cafe in uh, Mississauga, how this is going to convince you of what's happening, but. Well, There's so many important issues out there, and to, to, for the, for him to to kind of use this framing is is still just baffling. Well, and and then on top of that, now they're left. So they 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 came out with like a in air quotes a mandatory vaccination plan for um, for federally regulated workers, but then it ended up not actually being mandatory. It's really like you you should take it, and if you don't, you have to submit to rapid testing which ironically is exactly what the conservatives proposed, which is probably the more appropriate solution, because if it's about curbing the spread of the virus, well, availability of rapid testing uh, in the combina- in combination with those who get vaccinated pretty much solves that problem. 
Um, so they tried to make. Are there really any large policy differences though at this point? So particularly when it comes to the pandemic, let's let's not focus on the the other things like taxes or but when it comes to actually the pandemic is there anything like sweeping between any of the parties that are different um with the ndp yes um with the liberals and the conservatives they, they would go australia is that what you're saying <laughs> well, no i mean they went so far as like mandatory vaccinations for public workers um and you get fired if you don't do it or you'll face consequences and the funny thing is is that their base which is predominantly unions are like well sorry guys like we negotiated that into collective bargaining rights like 50 years ago, and that would be illegal. Um, what are the differences? I mean, the O'Toole platform is actually pretty lengthy. There's a lot of interesting stuff in it. I think there's a lot of silly stuff in it. But the thing is, is that there is stuff in it. But um, there, there is not, an, there is not as much distance between the two as you would traditionally see in mm. an election. Uh, despite... we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a big one, David. Uh, unfortunately, we're short for time. Uh, heck of a show. We'll have plenty more next week. Election analysis. Thank you to Julie Gunlock, and thank you guys for listening to Consumer Choice Radio. Until next week. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Asoski and myself, David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy, and science, Tune in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at ConsumerCRadio, myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty. And find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening.
Hallelujah.